This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. Why are we the most informative? It's because our guest today is Dave Kidder, a local realtor with Keller Williams, and um, he's always full of good information. <laughs> I'm glad you finished that. <laughs> okay. No, I, I, I meant that. You're full of good information and insight. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And, you know, we really want to, the whole idea of this show that started 11 and a half years ago wow. is to give the real stats, the real facts, a real perspective on our local market. Because what's happening in the Bay Area is certainly different than what's happening here. What's happening in Michigan is certainly different. I just checked a weather forecast for Chicago. <laughs> thunderstorms well we're not going to have that here and the real estate market is much the same well anyway good morning dave good morning don i appreciate chance to be here again always enjoy it fastest hour in radio (laughs) yeah yeah and you know all our listeners they they always clamor for dave Kidder. (laughs) yeah i see them swerving off the road to turn up the radio (laughs) thanks for that you know we we have we're blessed we we get to surround ourselves with very smart people in this industry and so uh, a lot of what i think we're going to talk about today is accumulation well you even participated in one of the polls we did so they're, they're again very smart people involved in in, and then there the was me too. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> yeah. No. But they uh, didn't even call me. So, oh well. <laughs> All right. Well, pay your dues. Pay your dues. <laughs> I didn't mean dollar wise. So what Dave is talking about is earlier in the week, um, I received a survey request from the National Association of Realtors, and they're trying to take the pulse of the market from around the country. And um, so not just locally, but the the whole thing. So uh, because I participated in it, I'm eligible for two things. One was a printout of this survey. The other one is I might win a $50 gift card. Oh, so, there you go. But I haven't heard on that one yet. There you go. But worth more than $50 is really this survey. Oh, it is. I, I, I've had a chance to look over it the last couple of days, and it's actually very good information. And I think it's an eye-opener uh, for all of us. If we're, if we're in the middle of a certain type of property and certain type of buyers or certain types of sellers, we may see the market only from our perspective. But this is from across the entire state of California. Mm-hmm. So... so To touch this off, I'm going to tell you that yesterday I had a conversation with a client of mine who also happens to be a realtor in the Bay Area, and they're investing in the Fresno area, and her comment or her question was, Don, what's the real estate market like in Fresno right now? So I'm going to ask you that, and if you want to use some of this data that we got from the, the survey. Okay. And you know, but our listeners should remember, local and national. The survey is national. The survey is national, and here's an important thing: is Fresno is very indicative of what the nation is doing. We are not the Bay, we're not LA. If we look at our average home prices here in Fresno, it's almost identical across the nation. 
Now, we good point. We're, we're higher than some areas. We're lower than most of the areas in California. So it leads into that whole affordability idea that Fresno is one of, well, it is the most affordable large city in California by far, uh, almost three times as affordable as San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So what I hear you saying is that we're more like the rest of the nation yes. than we are like California Very or the rest of California. And I've seen that since day one of being back in real estate since 2012, mm-hmm. that we, we match up with what the nation's doing. I remember hearing one time somebody complaining to uh, uh, an elected official, what are you going to do about affordable housing here in Fresno? It's gone outrageous. And, you know, I thought about it, and it's like, wait a minute. If our average sales price is around 275 yep. that's the average sales price in the uh, – I think the average in the nation is – and it'll say somewhere in here, but right around 265 270 yeah. almost the same. But yet you go to the state of California – and it's double that. It's, it's, I think it's 574 across the state of California mm-hmm. and affordability across the state of California. Now, when I say this number, it, it means that how much of my income is taken up in uh, home prices. So uh, what's the cost to live in a home? And right now, I think we're around 36 37% here in Fresno of our income is taken up with housing. In San Francisco, it's 89%. In the... in Oakland, it's 59%, and 59% is similar to all the other major cities in California. So we're 20% more affordable than any other large city in California. So when somebody says, how can we make housing more affordable in Fresno, I would say, well, move to Fresno, because we're about as as affordable as it gets in the state. Mm-hmm. In the, I, now, I'd like your opinion on why that is, and I'm going to give my opinion, too. Uh, you know, I we don't have an ocean in our front yard. We don't yeah. have, you know, uh, bodies of water have a tendency to raise property values. And, you know, water is an issue. And if you had an navigable river here in downtown Fresno, you would probably see a different makeup of what's down here. That's a good point because you look at the city of Sacramento, which is not the Bay Area, yeah. but they have two large uh, navigable, boy, that was hard to say, what? Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Bodies of water, the American River and the Sacramento River, and really I think their values are up because of those. So I I agree with you on that. Uh, And I think another reason why is the basics of supply and demand. We have land to burn. Well, we've had land to burn. Yeah. You know, we're filling some things up now. Yeah, but we're still building lots and lots of houses here in the Central Valley. Whereas you don't have very much construction at all in the Bay Area. No, and you have a lot more restrictions on building in the Bay Area. So the housing crisis in the Bay, L.A., San Diego is going to increase. And ours, still watertight, but ours, we still have room to grow. Mm -hmm. Okay, good point. So I guess our synopsis is... The reason prices are so much less here is, one, is uh, we don't have that ocean view. Some Uh, of that. Yeah. Although, my gosh, we're only two and a half hours away from it. So we have mountains. We have have so many things to offer. And I I come to 
appreciate all that we have moving from another area. It took me a while to get over the heat, but once I was past that, this is home now. Yeah, yeah. And I heard a good one the other day. Where else can you live where um, you can not have to rent a hotel? You can stay in your own your own bed at night, and yet go see Yosemite. Yeah. Go see the ocean. Go see beautiful mountains and waterfalls all in the same day. Right here. 100%. You're right. Well, let's get into some of those um, statistics from that survey. Okay. Um, and these, I'm just going to just hit the high points, but it's a it's a confidence score. So they've pulled realtors from across the nation on their confidence in the market. So one of the things that came out was that uh, for single-family residents, 66% of the people who responded felt the market was still good. And and then they have a, a, a parentheses that over 50 indicates the prices will improve. Hmm. So there's still an indication or a feeling that prices are going to continue to improve. So that's not the general public. That's realtors who are involved in the in, real estate market yes. working it, yeah. six, two-thirds feel that uh, they're very confident yeah. about the market. Yeah, 66%. We're still in a what I would call a seller's market, meaning that we have more buyers than we have homes. Although there was a, a local um, newspaper article just two weeks ago that said our housing market is now officially weak. You know, I, I thought about that, and if I'm if I'm a reporter and I've just sold my home and maybe I had to discount it because of deferred maintenance or some other issue or I had to move, then for me the market is weak because of my own mm-hmm. situation. Face it, we we deal every day with buyers and sellers, so I think we're probably a little bit more informed. We're on top of it. I I would like to have had a realtor interviewed on that a very busy big realtor and get their take if that reporter had interviewed you know uh one you of the, me and thank you and and got a feeling of okay dave what do you think the market is i would have to say we are still short on inventory we're still under three months inventory across the board and if i look today on how many people are searching for homes your head would spin on how many people have searches right now it's it's a little bit flabbergasting yeah yeah, and um, here's another analogy because, you know, I, I thought of it in terms of speed limit. So the faster you're driving, because I've said this before on the show, I feel like our market is slowing down, but it's slowing down from 70 miles yeah. an hour down to 60 miles an hour. We're still above normal, above the speed limit, um, but just not as fast. But the faster you go, the more you have to adjust. Yeah. So when you get up to 85 miles an hour, passing that car, <laughs> you're going to adjust more frequently than if you were just driving 55. Yeah, and I want to, uh, my caveat is I, don't, I cannot predict the future. I have no idea what prices are going to be next year. From what I am seeing is that prices will be stable, um, maybe improve a little bit. There are some price points that maybe will get weaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one statistic in here that first-time home buyers is up from 31% from last year to 35% from last year. Now, these are people who have been renting, and rents have continued to increase. From 1991, rents have not come down at all. So now rents are going up, and all of a sudden, homes become more affordable to buy. 
and so we see more first-time home buyers coming into the market buying than there that at this same time last year. What I like to hear about that more first-time home buyers coming in that helps uh, stabilize a market and firm it up because that's um, enter, that, that's people entering into home ownership. Yeah. And now that creates a future for home sellers. Yes. There will be more home sellers five to ten years from now because they'll move up and buy their second home and third home. And you see that reflected out on who's who's the largest percentage of people selling are people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. They're, that represents a larger percentage of any other percentile of people selling their homes. They have equity in their home. They're now selling their home. All right, and here was one that um, kind of surprised me. Cash sales made up 16% of sales when it was 22% last year. So, and maybe that's just indicative of somebody might say, oh, see, I told you that's slowing down. There's less cash buyers out there. No, there's more free money, or not free, but cheap money. Yeah. I mean, interest rates have dropped. Why so. would Why would I use my cash if I can borrow money at three and a half percent or three point seven? I and I'm not quoting rates here, but if it's under four percent, I want to preserve my cash for those really hot deals mm-hmm. and use somebody else's money. All right. And we're also going to get into uh, in the next segment about investing in real estate. Yeah and also using cash-out refinances for investing. Is that a wise idea? So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio, where we're here to tell you all the ups and downs, the fools and clowns of this real estate world. He's handsome. He's not very famous. My father, your host, Don Scordino. (laughs) That's a good one. That's why we have children right there. That's right. (laughs) That little clip came from nine years ago when my my daughter was 14 years old. She was here in the studio, and she did that. Off the cuff. She didn't tell me what she was going to say. So I was totally surprised. What um, a confident young lady. What is she doing now? Oh, my gosh. She's in theater. Oh, but there you go. There you go. Yeah. And and um, good kid. Still a kid, but a good kid. And, and um, just, yeah, I was impressed at 14 years old. That voice just exuded confidence. Do I need to, do you need to stay with us for a couple of days until your, your daughter uh, is not upset about that. <laughs> oh yeah, please, nobody let that out. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> uh, All right. right, we were talking. Let's talk now about investing because we see that more than a third of the home buyers now are first-time home buyers, which is great because you're, it's the American dream. It's great for social reasons. People are more invested mm-hmm. emotionally into their home. Not just invested uh, financially. Although, by the way, the best form of rent control is a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. Absolutely. I heard someplace where if I'm paying rent, my interest rate is is infinity because I never will pay that down. No matter how much my rent goes up, mm-hmm. what I owe on my rent will never – I mean, the equity will never build up in a rental. So it's it, – it, Right. And, and if you – but now you got to be wise. you got to get – the right financing where the loan balance goes, goes down. down. 
back in 2005 in that era. Um, too many crazy, toxic loans where loan balances actually went up yeah. or the, or an interest-only loan stayed the same. So if you borrowed 200000 it stayed at 200000 um, Nothing better than seeing that drop. In fact, I'd like every listener out there to go look at your last monthly statement and check out the difference between the principal and interest. That principal basically is going into your pocket. So yeah. maybe you have a $1,500 a month payment and $400 is going to principal. Well, that that's yours. Yeah. You know, the first five, six, seven years, it doesn't really decrease that much. But all of a sudden, it starts to really build up. And by about year 10, 12, you actually start seeing it really chew into it. And it's amazing what happens, you know, if you make even a, an extra payment or something, you really take that down. Well, I remember um, my very first loan that I got when I was young and not as smart. <laughs> I did a 40-year loan thinking, oh, I want my payment to be as low as possible. Well, then I find out 50 years is interest only. So you're Good going. Like that's that. going too far. And it only dropped my payment just a few bucks about the cost of one pizza a, a month <laughs> where do you get your pizzas at <laughs> <laughs> it's only 14.99 oh, well, there you go okay yeah you're right it, it that, that 10 years small difference huge impact at the end mm -hmm. and by the way where i get my pizza everywhere i've tried them all in fresno <laughs> clovis um that's my national national food oh there you go all right. Um, what are some of the big – it's good to see investors in there, too, in the market. Nationwide, it was 17% of all homes that were purchased were from investors, and I would venture to say it's higher than that in Fresno. I think that's where we separate from the national average. In fact, I heard one statistic that 54% of all homes in Fresno are investor-owned. So that's 54% of all families who are renting right mm -hmm. now. Uh, and I'd love to see the home ownership, of course, be at 54 in rentals. And yet, you know, we we have an we have an affordable rental market comp compared to every place else. So it makes sense that we have more renters in this area. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to challenge a few people out there right now. So if anybody's sitting there thinking 54% are owned by investors, that's not good. Don't blame the investors. Here's the challenge. Don't blame the investors for buying them. Blame the renters for renting them. Uh, in other words, if they have the ability to go out and buy something and, and sink roots for their family, they should. So I want to I kind of back into my premise, and I, and I agree. I would never advocate somebody refinance their home and do what we did in 2005. You were just sharing what a hideous wreck that became. But here's where I want to, since 1991, when they've been tracking rents, rents have gone consistently up. Even in 2006 and 7 and 8, when housing market turned down, rents continued to go up during that time. In fact, they even spiked a little bit because you had a lot of people who were getting out of their home, losing their home, short sales. They had no choice but to rent. So rents have continued since 1991 to continue to go up. So as of today, we are at historical highs on rents being paid on housing. You couple that with historically low interest rates and our 
real estate market is stabilizing, to me now is the perfect time if I am a first-time home buyer to look at buying. You may find that your rents are higher than what your home payment might be. Lead that into if I am a homeowner who has a lot of equity in my home and I'm looking at retirement pretty soon, what do I do with that equity in my home? I think the rental market, investment market, has to be a consideration with interest rates low and rents going up. And I'm going to agree with that. And one reason why in, uh, an individual should invest in, in real estate as as an investment to, to rent out the house is because homes are something that we understand because we live in one already. So uh, when the water heater goes out, or the yard's not mowed. We understand that. I don't understand how, you know, the stock market works totally, as well as I do a home. Agreed. I agree. I, mean, I know it's all supply and demand, but <laughs> still, still, I everybody knows the nuances of a home, and that's one reason it makes it a good investment. And I remember my financial planner talking to me, and I was talking about, um, let's get aggressive on these stocks here and, and all that. And, and he goes, you want me to gamble on this? I said, well, yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, and, and he said, well, why don't you gamble in something you know, homes? Yeah, exactly. Uh, good I, I, advice. On 9-11, when everything was falling apart, uh, the commodity prices were all over the board. I was in commodities at the time. I was in stocks, you know, or I worked with people with stocks, and stocks were all over the place. And although I was worried about all those other things, stocks, commodities, everything else, I never once thought about what the value of my home was doing because I, I didn't have to sell my home that day. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a security thing. I can't hug a carload of corn <laughs> the way I can go home and sit in my comfy chair at my home. So home ownership does bring security. Mm-hmm. And it's also something you can use. It's not just an investment, but there's a use. Um, you might end up putting your, your kids uh, or having your kids rent that home from you. Yeah. You might make it a second home. You might move back into it uh, or move into it. Uh, there's always that use part, whereas stocks and bonds, how do you use it? Exactly. So when when somebody says, okay, we're thinking of downsizing, my first words are, if we're thinking of downsizing, we're thinking of selling. I'm the worst realtor on earth at this point because I always try to talk them into keeping their home and doing something with that investment, rent it or something else. At least I'm not pushy on it, but I present it as an option. And we look at what the numbers would do. So when I say, if you have a lot of equity, just refinance it and go out and start buying investments, that's not necessarily the scenario that I see a lot, I'm saying if you are thinking of moving, selling this home with all this equity in it, why not use that equity for your retirement and keep that home and buy your next home that you're going to move into? That to me is, to me, that is sound financial investing. Mm -hmm. So that's something I want to get into is Let's say there's a couple that owns a home and they've got an extra $100,000 of equity in there. Should they do a cash-out refi, take that 100000 and go out and buy one or two more homes? And we're going to get into that when we get back from our next commercial break. Oh, so stay tuned. That one. 
Yeah. That'll give you three minutes to think about it, too. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we're talking with Dave Kidder, realtor extraordinaire from Keller Williams. That's not going to fit on my cards, but I'm going to try to put that on there now. Thank you. We'll just drop the Kidder part. There we go. Yeah, but nobody would know me then. I'll drop the Dave. There you go. All right. So in the last segment, we started to talk, talk about the wisdom of investing in real estate. Um and it's something that individuals can do. Um, you don't have to be a large corporation with a team of attorneys and and, and managers on on site. You yeah. you can do it individually yeah. because we understand it. So how do people go about getting started in that? And, and let me throw out this situation: they've got a hundred thousand dollars equity in their home now. Uh, should they do a cash out refi? Tap into that, like the advertisements say. Uh-huh. Tap into the all that unused equity and invest in more real estate. You know, before I do anything, I sit down with my accountant. I also look at what my investment strategy is right now and how is it working. So if my investments right now are making me 5 6 7% a year, and I'm going to stop doing that to make 5 6 7% a year in real estate, Why? Why do that? Why go, why go from what you know to something you don't know? And you said it in the last section, is focus on what you're good at. I've also seen a lot of people run and say, well, I want to take all my retirement funds and throw them into real estate. Again, if I've been making 10 15% on my in retirement investments, why do something that I don't know? It has to be a really well-thought-out plan before you do anything. And... The 2005-2006, people were refinancing their homes and then refinancing their homes, and that's when we got in trouble, was it was too easy for money to get money. So it really has to be a plan, and you have an idea, and I want to hear that. Okay, yeah. I I was telling Dave earlier that back in during the boom time of 2002 through 2007, it's called the boom time. I didn't personally participate in the boom. Therefore, I didn't participate in the gloom that <laughs> followed. Yeah. And here's what kept me out of that. And, and I did participate because I had rental homes. But whether I did a cash-out refi, a, a rate-and-term refinance, or uh, I did some 1031 exchanges, I, I created this – well, I, I stole this idea from a good friend of mine, but I use the 80% rule. So I would pencil it out to make sure that everything worked, but I did it at 80%. So, for example, if the rent currently was $1,000, I took that down to 80% or $800 a month, and I made sure that whatever I borrowed, uh, the payment would match the $800. Okay. Now, I truly had $1,000 income from that house, but I knocked it down. And then I would do the same thing on the borrowing power. Um, If if I felt like I could borrow $100,000 out of it, I knocked it down to $80,000. Okay. 
So you built I, cushions into it. Yeah, yeah, reserves, cushions, um, and and I I'll tell you that stopped me from making some moves, but like uh, the uh, your general managers of baseball teams will say. Sometimes your best move is one you don't, or the best trade is one you don't make. Don't make, exactly, yeah. Um, another thing that I, I, I was a big believer in is 20% down. Now, this is for investment. Not, so if you're a first-time home buyer and you're getting in on FHA financing at 3.5%, well, who am I to say that's wrong? I had, did it my, I had to do it myself. Get, in, get into the game with the three and a half and and earn it. But when it comes to investing, if you're able to save 20%, uh, that means you're not living on 100% of your income. You're you're able to to get there. Then you can put that down. So if a hot deal came around, but I had only saved up 10%, it wasn't time. It wasn't time. Plus, 20% down makes you a stronger buyer in the eyes of the seller and, and the market. You you can oftentimes get a better deal if you have a good down payment. Mm-hmm. And most investment properties will, they say pencil, and I, and I almost hate that word. Well, it does it pencil. Do the rents that are coming in make your, make your payments is, is what I'm saying. And at 80% or 20% down, your rents are going to make your payments and your expenses and maybe have a reserve for surprises. And there are surprises in real estate. Yeah. Now, here's another thing. Like when they say it didn't pencil out, you got to remember costs and expenses and incomes are all variables. They're not fixed necessarily. Now, true, you can have a fixed interest rate and a fixed principal and interest. But when it comes to the investment, you don't have a fixed amount on repairs that's a variable yeah maintenance uh, surprise yeah <laughs> and rental income um back in i have a home that's over by woodward park that when i first bought it i rented it out lickety split for a thousand bucks a month it went really fast within three years i had to re-rent it and the rents dropped 20 percent the best i could get was 795 or eight, okay. 800 wow. bucks. Yeah. That same house today probably rents for $1,600 yeah. a month. But it, there's also been 30 years passed by. Okay. And, and not only 30 years has passed by, but a new roof has passed by, <laughs> uh, a new air conditioner. Uh, You've got the original carpet in there, too, I bet, don't you? Green shag. You there bet you. you go. <laughs> I want that house. <laughs> oh, gosh. On that house, I'm going to say in the time I've owned it, five or six generations of carpet. Yeah. Um, some generations didn't live as long as they should have. <laughs> and I think sometimes we, we close a blind eye to that because we just want to jump into investing. And there's, and, that, and there's buzz about real estate. You see so many shows out there, how easy it is to make money in real estate. And we, we gloss over some of the, the risks and some of the issues. And you have to know those issues. And, and that's where you surround yourself with people who've done it before, property managers, a contractor's handyman saying, I'm going to buy this house. What are the problems I'm going to have if I buy this property in the shape it's in right now? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I threw that out there about the all the different carpet, the different renters, the roof, and all that. Because when you hear a story about a landlord that gets $1,600 a month 
um, you know, don't don't be upset at them. They earned it. Yeah. In, in thirty years, is a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I, and and I had somebody kind of get on me and uh, about you know being a landlord, and it's like you know when I was a young kid, when I was in my twenties, I w- I didn't go out and buy a boat. I went out and bought a rental home. <laughs> And and it's worked. So now I've owned it for 30 years. I, I think I deserve that. Uh, you, you nailed it on the head. You know, people need a place to live. And having a good tenant and a good landlord where the relationship is good is is golden. It really is. And having adversarial relationship because the landlord's not doing certain repairs, not doing things, that's not so good. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Is it a wise move to do a cash out refi? There's always there's always going to be no's in everything that we say. There's always going to be things you just need to walk away. You really have to look at what's the likelihood of this property going up in value. Although, and I'm going to say this, I never buy an investment property because I think the value will go up. I have to assume the value will go down and will it still make me money? In 20 years, that real estate is going to be paid for. So it ha- but I have to get to the 20 years. I have to get to the point where it is paid for, which means it has to be in decent shape, or I can make it in decent shape for the money I have. It's got to be in a good location. I'm sorry, that's that's a rule that will never change. To buy a great house in a horrible area is going to cause you problems when you try to resell that home down the road. So location, condition, you know, and of course price is always going to be a consideration. And yet, if I'm holding it for the long term, does this house meet my needs? And I have to look at it from all avenues. And if I'm not sure what questions to ask, that's where I think you find your real estate professional and look at properties. Mm -hmm. And look at a lot of properties before you decide. Don't just buy the first one you see. And, you know, that's an important thing because there's so many people now that say, oh, yeah, I've looked at a lot of properties. Yeah, they looked at them all on their iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) There's too much of that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, those pictures that you see online, those are advertisements. They're not disclosures. When you actually go through the home, you see the good and the bad. Yeah. You're only seeing the good side on the pictures. Well, sometimes. But really, for the most part, the pictures aren't. They cannot be deceptive. In fact, if you ever see a property that is being deceptively marketed because of the pictures, that's a point of of concern, and you need to alert your realtor saying that house is not being represented. Yeah, and there are rules about that yeah. with the multiple listing service. Yeah. However, not everybody uses the multiple listing service, and we're going to talk about that in our next segment. I hope so. Yeah, and we're going to talk about the the power of that MLS and how to properly use it. So um, that that'll be important. Um, I I had one recently where a buyer was looking at this home online, and she said, you know, it says that it's three bathrooms, but it only shows two bathrooms worth of pictures. And they were out of town, so they asked me to go through the house. I did. I said, well, there's a good reason that third bathroom is. There's no picture of it. It's not there. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> oh, oh, it's that bathroom. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the one where it's like, uh, let's go to another room. <laughs> it wasn't that clean. Oops. Oh, and it, and it, there was a lot of repair that needed. I'm sure the uh, pest control inspector had to spend a lot of time in there. Oh, whoops. All right. 
With that, we are going to go to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio with us on this beautiful Saturday morning is Dave Kidder. Hold on, I'm still dancing to that song. Yeah. <laughs> Huey Lewis in the News, The Power of Love, and also and that <clears throat> that touches us or gives us a kickoff for our segment on the power of the multiple listing service. Wow. Great topic. Great. You're a big time user of it, as as I am. But wait a minute, we're competitors. You work for a different company than I do. Um, what gives there? I'm going to say across the board, from day one I've been in real estate, I have tried very hard to establish relationships with agents with other companies. For the biggest part, is they see things that I don't see. And I see things that maybe they don't. And some of my best transactions have been over conversations just like this. Hey, I'm working with a buyer looking for this. What do you have? And I can do that within my office. And yet, what if I expand that to all 3,700 agents where they know what I'm looking for and they have, maybe they have exactly what I'm looking for or I have what they're looking for. And that's where the MLS comes into place because I can see what they're looking for. And so you cooperate with other agents. Very well. Very well. Okay. But I think cooperation is the key word to MLS. If all you have is a database and you don't have the spirit of cooperation, which is an intangible, yeah. then all you have is a database of numbers. Um, that spirit of cooperation helps put things together. Well, on what? I see you, I would say, at least once a week at different meetings we go to. The MLS meeting on Tuesday mornings is a phenomenal one. And if you're an agent and you're not there or if you're a buyer and you have an agent, encourage them to show up because there's a lot of information being shared there where we can help each other find our clients or find the clients what they're looking for or help them sell a home that they may have. And here would be an example of that. So... If you, all you have is a database and you have address, bedroom, bathroom, square footage counts and all that, and a few marketing remarks saying beautiful home, remodeled, okay, that's great. But here's where the spirit of cooperation comes in. I say, hey, Dave, i got a client who, well, they need to sell their home first, so we need something that's a, a long escrow. You got anything? It's, yeah. Hey, that that one that you asked me about earlier. That seller is not in a hurry, and they might work with your buyer. You hit it on the head. That's right. And the more people you can share that your wish list with, the more people start working on and and come together. And again, I, I it, it's not drawn by company lines. I, I've I've I have people we talk to weekly that I forget who they work for because the relationship is with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, somebody might say, well, you could build an algorithm that says this seller is not anxious to sell right now. <laughs> and another algorithm to say, well, this buyer isn't. And so maybe, that you know, it could all be hooked up by algorithm. But it goes further than that because you might say, however, my seller needs a commitment. Yeah. Uh, in other words, they don't mind a 90-day escrow. 
but they need a commitment that that's going to happen, as in a $10,000 deposit um, or, or, or something like that. And my response might be, well, my buyers can't do that. Okay, well, that's a transaction that doesn't work, but they didn't get into a harmful situation where they got into a transaction and, that did not work. And that's where the algorithm or the artificial intelligence might get you into a, a, a situation where there's not there's not common sense involved. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen common sense yet uh, on artificial intelligence yet. Yeah, yeah. Or with some people. Oh, or, I, 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 I shouldn't have thrown that I, in. No, that's fine. I, Nobody but, here in the room, though. <laughs> but you weren't looking at me when you yeah. said that, so I'm okay with that. But, you know, that's another thing that I don't think algorithms can uh, replace. So as I'm conversing with you about, uh, at a meeting, for example, at a multiple listing service meeting, conversing with you about the possibility of this transaction going together. We're trying to find the common ground of the buyer and the seller. And I ask you a question, well, will your, will your people, can they do like a 90-day escrow? And if you said right away, no. They can't. Okay. I saw the reaction there. That's a pretty definite no. Mm -hmm. But if you say, you think about it, and then you say, no, I don't believe they can, that tells me there was a possibility. I haven't asked it. And and that's one of the things I think as we we gain experience in this industry, before we even take our take the client out or list their home, is we're asking them questions, would you or could you, and asking, putting scenarios in front of them to get an idea of what they really could do. And I always like options. I like to throw options. So I may ask you a question you're uncomfortable with, and yet I want to find out that exactly. Mm-hmm. And then as we get together as professionals, we ask those same questions. And if we've had the conversation ahead of time, I'm pretty sure they will or they won't. Mm-hmm. Now let's go get into escrow. And that's, that is huge. Yeah. And that conversation goes on couple, 20, 30, couple dozen times a week with different yeah. agents, different different clients. And I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that this is all about conversation and, and, and you know, handshake deals. No, because it comes together in a formal process called the purchase contract. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where all conversations aside, we might have talked about a 90-day escrow, but if we end up drawing up the contract, 30-day escrow with the seller renting back for 60 days. Yeah. Now that becomes the, the agreement. Yeah. It, but that was probably the product of our conversation. conversation. There's, there's something that we, we talk about the multiple listing service, and then we compare it to other things that are out there where people get their information, and I think this is huge. Here's what I know about the multiple listing service is that there is a high standard of accuracy in there, and if I see something that is not accurate, it is within my uh, I don't say jurisdiction to be able to contact the other agent and say, I see that it doesn't have a third bath- bathroom, you have mm-hmm. three bathrooms, and to correct that. And if it's not corrected, there is a process within the MLS to correct errant information. I don't have that same confidence on some websites, in fact. I know when I check out an address on some websites and it shows that this house is for rent and I it, it's my house and I am not renting my house, there's some inaccuracy out there. Mm-hmm. And when I start looking at value and everything else, 
we don't always price everything accurately. We sometimes miss it. But I think for the most part, we're, we're pretty darn good. In fact, yeah. the reports I see is we're really, really good at pricing homes to sell. And um, I think the MLS st- uh, statistics will tell you that uh, this eventual sell price is 99% of list price. So, oh, yeah, we might have missed it, but not by that much. No. It's not like the uh, person who well, we listed a home at 600000 a few years back, and uh, one of the websites said it was worth four twenty five. Um, the next day after the listing went live, they upped it from four twenty five to six twenty five. <laughs> so I that Al algorithm, <laughs> yeah, he's a smart guy. He's a smart he, guy. He was smart <laughs> enough to follow Don Scordino. Yeah. Well, if Don thinks it's worth that, it must be. <laughs> and didn't you? Wouldn't you know? We sold it for five eighty five. So well within that, much closer than that. 30% off that I hear yeah. I hear some of the sites quote. Right. But while I was doing the investigation, the homework, the discovery, whatever you call it, there was no advertisement involved. Yeah. Whereas on those websites, what are they really all about? You mean the free websites that don't, don't cost you any money? Yeah. Yeah. I heard a good one the other day. If you're not paying for it, you're on the menu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going to use that around the house today <laughs> thank you <laughs> new jokes oh I, you must be the one making the mortgage payment so uh yeah there but you're right there is a there is a cost to going on the websites and you're going to get you're going to get marketed on other things and i think you even mentioned uh interest rates cheap interest rates uh insurance uh auto loans uh, across the board if you're on those sites you're going to get spammed oh big time um, I went in and checked into a refi um, last week. I'm getting hit up with phone calls now uh, from places and and, and emails uh, saying, offering me different rates and, and use up your equity. Uh, it, it's crazy. It's like, gosh, I thought I was just going in. And that's my problem for going into a free site. Yeah, well, just Siri is listening now, and I'm starting to get pizza ads coming to my phone because you mentioned pizza earlier. So it's <laughs> it's out there. By the way, my favorite pizza is round. Whatever round is, that that's my favorite flavor. Ah, my son worked there, and he told me why it's so good. Because they paid him an hourly wage to work there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the spirit of cooperation is what makes the... Fresno Multiple Listing Service so strong, or any multiple listing service that participates, because it's a seller not only saying, I want to sell today, but they've probably got a three- to six-month listing. They're agreeing to pay the other agent. That's a commitment. One, um, 30 seconds or less, Dave, what's your best real estate advice before the show ends? Well, I honestly, I think if I'm looking to sell my home, then I have to consider, and I hear this a lot from people who are selling their homes, say, well, if you bring me a buyer, I'll pay you a commission. What if I bring you 400 buyers? And that's the power of the MLS is I, when your home is on there, I'll bring you every buyer that's looking for your home. I like that. I'll please, use that. You please do. And thank you to all our listeners. We'll be back next next Saturday, 9 to 10. Bye-bye.